Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports. Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I know you've been glued to your TV watching a lot of Michael Jordan basketball, haven't you? Glued to my TV. What else am I going to do? Yeah, and well, no, I, I do. We'll get to Ricky Batalico in about 15 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. And I will ask you both whether you're staying up in the middle of the night to watch the Korean baseball organization. But for now, we'll ask about other sports. So let's sure. start with a little NBA this week. We'll get to a little NFL Eagles schedule because I know how much you enjoy people prognosticating the season in May. Very so important. We'll get, to, we'll get to that in a little mm-hmm. bit too. We've got Union star Mark McKenzie joining us at 440. So we got a jam-packed show, but I'm going to go with your initial takes. I heard you again. Always enjoy when you join uh, Keith Pompey in the Locked On Sixers podcast. You guys had a conversation this week about parts five and six of the Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. Give me your thoughts on what we saw this week and what we're going to see next week and where we are right now in that. Well, the first thing was sports business. I mean, if, you, if you're if you into sports business at all, the background of how he ended up at Nike was fascinating to me because I didn't know any of that. I did not realize that he wanted to be at Adidas, and Adidas said, we can't do that right now. Which, by the way, where is that Adidas executive? Hiding. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, not an executive at Adidas anymore. <laughs> but then, But Michael Jordan also showed at least his immaturity at the time with the fact that David Fox said to him, you got to go meet with Nike, which Nike wasn't a big company at that time. What'd they do? They called in his mom. (laughs) Yeah. He called his mom. He actually (laughs) told his mother on him and and his mother said, get on the plane. You got to go take the meeting. And, and and then from there, the fact that David Falk came up with the idea of air Jordan coining that phrase. And the most amazing part of it was that Nike paid him, I think $250,000 when Magic and Bird and Dr. J were all making about half of that, all to have the same sneaker with a different color. And and they want they thought that they were gonna make three million dollars after the first four years. They I think annually. How much and did it, they make in year one? I think it was $135 million. Yeah, they did okay, right? Yeah, exactly. They, I, it was two different episodes, obviously. Uh, I enjoyed the focus in part five on the dream team and his national exposure i've heard about those monte carlo practices with these mm-hmm. teams so it was really fun to see some of the backstory of that and see their personality that team um, was so good i mean so it, good it, it's just amazing i mean the whole team's in the hall of fame now they're in as a group but everybody on that team probably would have been on the hall in the hall of fame anyway except for except christian, for christian Leitner. Leitner. right <laughs> somehow was on that team instead of isaiah thomas your thoughts on the isaiah section of this and how it was painted throughout look i I don't like Isaiah Thomas. It's no secret. Um, I, I don't think he's as nice as the the quiet voice and the smile uh, portray. But it is amazing to me that Michael Jordan seems to have gotten the blame for this when it's clear from at least from these episodes that nobody on that team liked him. I think that's the case, but you've seen some pushback this week and and not just here, you've seen some pushback in other areas that the way the story is being told, it, it seems as if it's being told through through Michael's eyes at times. And, um, you know, some people pushed back saying that, you know, it wasn't 
as many other people on the team. You know, they're trying to say that three quarters of the team didn't want him. Uh, I don't know whether that's the case or not. Uh, you know, you you tell me. But it, it was clear that that he didn't want him on the team. There is no doubt about that. But if if Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, and Magic Johnson all supposedly had problems with him, who cares what the rest of the team thinks? I Those are the three biggest names in basketball in that era. For for about a 15-year period, those three names were the names in basketball. Everybody seems to make it out like that's the time that Michael became the guy. When do you think Michael would have become the guy if not for the dream team? When he won. Would it have taken the titles? Would it, mm-hmm. would it have, is that what it, because he didn't need to win a title before he was the guy at that point. You know, he, no, he, he, he would have had to win a title to be the guy. There were, there were enough, I mean, he would have been the guy as far as the best scorer in the league. But until he won a championship, he wasn't going to be the guy. What's amazing is, is people don't realize that Michael Jordan did not come into the league and win a championship in his first five years. It took longer than that for him to win a championship. Would people have the patience for that now? You'd no. see coach, but of remember, not. there were two coaches fired before they won a championship. So, you know, we talk about patience. There was a lot of turnover in the process of getting them. There. Doug Collins should have never been fired. Uh, they, they still have not explained. If, if you're going to tell me that the reason he's fired is because he wouldn't institute the implement, the triangle offense. I find it hard to believe that Tex Winter had that much influence over over the uh, the Krause and, and Reince. I, I found that interesting that Doug Collins said, I just saw that Phil was ready. How do you know he was ready? Like, Doug Collins was not going anywhere <laughs> near that one. He's like, y'all keep asking the question. Yeah. I'm going to answer it however I want. Hey, by the way, for people that don't realize, Doug Collins at one point was a great basketball player and the number one pick for the Sixers in the draft. Yep, and he was pushed aside for ultimately Phil Jackson, which yeah. you see a lot of. Um, you also see a lot on the Jordan gambling in episode six, and I know you had some interesting reactions. I'm going to let you talk first before I give my opinions about it. A guy who has to gamble 20 bucks to try to take that money away from the security guards in the locker room by throwing quarters at a wall to see who can get closer has a problem. That wasn't gambling, Jeff. It was competitive quarter throwing. Okay, well, I can't use the word on air. I'd like to use what you just said. And I know you're just copying the word that they said. But then for him to get on planes, and I understand they gamble a lot and there's a lot of money, but then to come up to the front of the plane where the guys are playing for a dollar a hand and say that he wants to play with those guys because he wants to take their money. He wants to have their money in his pocket. This whole nonsense that I don't have a gambling problem, I have a competition problem. Yeah, the competition is gambling. Okay. Uh, he had a few problems. Uh, he had a public relations problem from the way that he handled that interview with Ahmad Rashad wearing the sunglasses while talking about it. That's a bad look. That did not come off convincing. You know that I have been open about my dabbling and gambling in the past and quitting. Um, sure, I could have quit when I was down, but I was so competitive, I thought that I was going to win it back. It just didn't happen. Uh, you can call it what you want. I'm not going to it's for somebody else to decide whether they have a problem that needs help or not. 
Um, but it does not seem that he agrees with the take that he has a gambling problem, no matter what evidence people show around him. And the justification that people seem to give is, yeah, he bets $20,000 because that's like $20 for you and I. Look, $20, $20,000, gambling is gambling. I learned that a long time ago. The scale of what you do does not determine the action that you take. It's still the action. So, And by the way, here's the problem with Michael Jordan saying that this was not a big deal. Because the league was forced to look into this. And Michael Jordan says it's not that big a deal. What do you worry about when an athlete gambles? You worry about whether it's going to cause them to be influenced in a game. Nobody's suggesting that Michael Jordan did anything, but you don't want to put yourself in that position. And the fact is, Michael Jordan acknowledged that he lied about, what was it, Slim Buller? He said that originally he said it was a loan, and then he was forced to go on the stand because he was a witness in the Slim Buller trial. And then he said, no, it was a gambling debt. That was another area that was quickly mentioned yet moved on from. Yeah, but I'm telling you, as an attorney, that's not that you he was put in a position that he had to testify under oath and change his story. What if Michael Jordan felt or any athlete felt or any person felt that they didn't want to be put in that bad light, that they were lying? And then somebody now has something holding that they can hold over you. And that's the concern with gambling and sports. And when you have $1.2 million of golfing debt to another guy, if, if you want to have a squeaky clean image, it's not about whether Michael Jordan has the money to pay off the debt. It's whether or not he feels that he's going to be influenced by it. So if you have, if, let's say his con sneaker contract was coming up. He has that sneaker contract not just because he's Michael Jordan. It's be, that he's because he's Michael Jordan that he got it, but he's become bigger than life on the basketball court and then off the court. And it's because he had the squeaky clean image. So if people, if he started feeling, I can't let anybody know about this debt because it may hurt my next contract with the sneaker company for a hundred million dollars, then somebody has something to hold over him. That's why I don't buy this whole argument. Gambling in sports is the slippery slope. Do you think that the documentary has been fair in the way that they discussed it? The gambling? Yes. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to see a whole episode on it. Um, yeah. I, I think it's fair. Well, it seems I, like you've got that sort of – it seems like 6 was the intro to 7 and 8 if you look at the previews where you know in 7 they're going to talk about – how people who played with him felt in eight or with flip-flop they'll talk about people who played against him felt and uh the the jason hire who made it said i don't i was surprised that jordan approved number seven so it sounds like he's not going to come across looking as great in seven and eight i did think it was odd that they ended the, the cliffhanger that they supposedly ended six on was they're about to face the new jersey nets <laughs> the, the New Jersey Nets are never a cliffhanger for that's, anything. That's not bringing them back for you? No. Okay, I mean, you know look, what? I'm going back to watch it anyway. It doesn't matter. But You know what I think will bring you back is the you're starting to get some people question what was said. And Craig Hodges took, uh, took exception with, in episode one, Michael Jordan talked about walking in on a cocaine surface and uh, called Scottie Pippen selfish. And... 
Craig Hodges is not a fan at all. He said it bothered him because he was thinking about the brothers who are the picture who have to explain to their families who are getting to watch this great documentary. And now you've got to explain that to a 12 year old boy. <laughs> Too bad. Then you shouldn't have done it. How's so you, that? you think that Hodges is off base. They knew the his... cameras were there. Well, right. the, the cameras were not about it, the cameras were there in 98. The cocaine circus was Michael sitting down talking about oh, what he okay. saw as a young player. And oh. so Hodges is saying that for Michael to go out there and throw all these guys who were on the team under the bus and say they were all doing it at that time wasn't fair. And then he also took interest with him saying that Scotty was selfish. And he also took interest in the episode where they made it out like Horace Grant was the only leak on the team. Which was, it was, that was a weird one. I, I don't understand why they're blaming Horace Grant. Horace Grant denied it, but that, even that was cursory, his denial. I believe more of what B.J. Armstrong said, which is there's no way it could have been Horace Grant, that he could have been the leak of all the things that were in Jordan rules. But the problem with this is, as good as this is, and this is great, this documentary, is that there is an, there's an undertone of bullying that's going on with Michael Jordan. You can see it in the way that he behaves when it comes to Jerry Krause and the constant short jokes. You can see it in the way that he talks about certain players and says, how dare they be compared to me or how dare they do this. And then you saw it with regard to this whole thing with him not wanting to address the gambling issue. Well, hey, Michael, here's an idea. Don't go to Atlantic City the night before you have a playoff game with your dad and gamble. Just stay home. Stay in your hotel. But then... Don't sit there and take it out on the reporters because they're doing their job. And just because you don't want to be this, this was the part that annoyed me most. The yeah, fact, I can tell. <laughs> the fact, the fact that he didn't want to be questioned and that it was wearing him down, and the reporters were going to drive him out of the game. I never buy that. But the fact that he was bullying his own teammates to not talk to reporters and getting on the bus and honking the horn while reporters are asking his teammates questions is completely off base. There is no way that he should be getting away with that. I think you may see more of that in the upcoming episodes in terms of how he interacted with the people on his team and the people on a other team. Has this series lived up to the hype for you so far? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, there's so many different angles because this doesn't cover just Michael Jordan. This is a microcosm of sports. It covers every area of sports and it go the way it goes back and forth. I don't know. I would love to see the storyboard of how they were able to weave this and the constantly going back and forth in like basically a 15 year period. Well, it seems like ESPN is going to move up a couple other sort of documentaries like this into production as well. Well, I hope so, because because the <laughs> last because the last one Jason here did before this was the Andre the Giant one for HBO, and and to me that was one. I, you know, I am not a wrestling fan, but that Andre the Giant documentary was fantastic. Well, and you know, I am a wrestling fan, yes. so I'm good with that. Um, I, I, a guy who is your guy, Roy Halladay. There's going to be a documentary coming out about uh, E60 is doing a special. Todd Zalecki has a book out about him. Your thoughts on what seems like a pretty deep dive into Roy Halladay from all sides of the successes and challenges that he faced from the reports? Don't know. I mean, I, I got to see because we none of us knew all of the stuff that happened that led to his tragic death. Um, so the question is, did they know? Are we going to find out that this has been an ongoing that he had an ongoing problem that nobody knew about, uh, which would be tragic to hear. 
It, it definitely would be. And I, I, but I do look forward to seeing how E60 presents it. Uh, give us a taste of baseball. And uh, you know, you know one, one thing though, I wish they weren't doing it on the day that they were supposed to retire his number. Do you think but, they knew that? I don't know. I, I think it is on the day. It's either that week or that day. And I just wish they weren't doing it then. Well, we're going to continue our baseball talk. We've got NBC Sports Philly analyst Ricky Batalico joining us. Ricky, I got a question. Are you staying up in the middle of the night to watch the Korean baseball organization? I have a little bit, believe it or not. <laughs> it, it, has, it has nothing to do with anything, but I just want to watch some baseball. You know, I, th- I think that's what it comes down to, and being able to watch some live baseball is the thing. It has... It has more to do with being live than it does a baseball game. Come on, we can watch as many reruns of baseball games as we want, but something being live right now is is, is big, it, especially for me it is right now. And, yeah, I've, I've, I've tuned in. I'm, I'm guilty. How's that? All right. And on a scale of 1 to 10, how do you how do you like it? Um, definitely different. Uh, to, to say the least, it's definitely a little different. I think the one thing that you really pick up on is that, you know, the guys aren't throwing as hard. It's a lot of guys that are almost trying to make their way back to the major leagues. So for me, I look at it like, okay, well, these are the, you call them 4A guys, the guys that are that close to the big leagues that if they put up good seasons could make themselves or could get themselves back uh, to the big league level. So, yeah, I, I look at it like, all right, this is something that's pretty cool, and, and you know, ho- hopefully we get to see some good things. Also, you get – I mean, I thought David Buchanan pitched the other day, saw Altera hit a home run the other day. So, it's 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 a little different. You get to see these guys in a little different light. It's a little strange watching with no fans, but it is what it is. Well, yeah, to me, the, the biggest part of no fans is, is the home runs. You can usually tell a ball's going out by the reaction of the fans. And without any fans there, it's just a totally different feel watching the game. Oh, it definitely is. Uh, there's, no, there's no doubt about it. You, you know, a lot of guys run off of adrenaline. If you don't have that adrenaline, then where are you in actuality like that? You know what I mean? You could, you could sit there and say, well, you know, it is, it is what it is. Players should be able to go out there and, and just play, but it's not that easy sometimes. Sometimes you go out and, you know, you're, you're trying to play a baseball game and you're realizing, like, this feels like spring training when it rained out and then all of a sudden we came back and finished the game. But, you know, when reality is reality, they're getting paid to play this game, so I, I get it going as soon as possible. If you were still playing baseball today, how would you be dealing with the situation? I think I'd, uh, I would always stay within two weeks of being ready to go. And, and I think that's something, it a, it's a, seems like an easy way to look at it. But in the, in the whole reality of things, when, when you're ready to play baseball and you're ready to jump in, you know, you have to know your own limitations. If you don't know your own lim- limitations, you're never going to figure this thing out. So in my eyes, you go into the, these into this time of the season. You get yourself ready where you are. You know, I'm I'm going to say ten days to to fifteen days, uh, ready to go and play. Because if you're not there, if you're not ready, you know it's just going to hurt you in the long run. So you're you're actually playing the game for yourself at this point. And once you get to a point where you feel like 
all right, I'm okay, I'm ready, I can play this game, then you're fine. But but it's getting to that point where you really need to have yourself mentally prepared. And the only way to do that is to have yourself physically prepared and then move on from there. We're starting to see rumblings of July 1st potentially for a start to the season. How do you think baseball is handling this process right now? Obviously, it's it's unprecedented. There's no roadmap for how to do that. But what are your thoughts and, and what you're hearing from people in and around baseball about how this is all being handled right now? Uh, I think cautiously would be the best way to, to look at it. But the one thing that you really have to do, especially in a, in a game like this, is be think about what you have to do for the fans because I go back to um, I guess I guess it was 2001 when when the uh, when the attacks on the on the country came. We felt like we had to get back for the good of the country, for the good of the people, for for people to have something to look forward to. And I think that's almost. I mean, obviously, this is a little different because because you have to be able to. Uh, in a way, have have uh, faith in the people that are putting you on the field. Have faith on the people that are putting you in the situation, and you have to have faith in your teammates that everybody's been doing the right thing and staying in together. So, it's a trust issue. I mean, when it really comes down to it, getting back on the field, I think, is a trust issue. Do you trust that guy standing next to you that he he wasn't out last night seeing all these new people? You know. And the mentality of it should be, I want to get back for the people, not just for you playing the game of baseball and not just for money. All right. Well, Ricky, we've been talking to some uh, some former Phillies about the, their old school days, and we wanted to get a little take from you on your days back in Martinsville and Spartanburg. Tell yeah. us about your memories from, from playing that first year. Martinsville. Wow. Um I think the thing about Martinsville, I was a little shocked. I mean, you're going into rookie ball. I just came out of a beer league. I, I didn't know what to expect, So, I, and I got there midseason. So uh, it, it was odd. The first batter I ever faced was Demetri Young, and he was a number one pick back then and big shot, and I struck him out on three pitches, and I was like, huh, I, I might be all right in this game. <laughs> and the other thing that really stuck out to me in Martinsville was they wanted to get me innings. After they saw me throw, they were like, we got to get this guy in. So they threw me in as a starter in my first start. Here's, the, here's how lucky I was. Now, I'm a nobody coming out of Connecticut, right? And my first start happens to be in Martinsville, Virginia. And we're, we're playing a team in our, in our division. I, I, I think it was the – I don't even remember who it was, but maybe the Braves. But we were playing a game. But before us, Spartanburg was playing a game in Martinsville against one of their division teams. So it was like in a two. It was a double header with two different leagues, like two, uh, rookie ball and a ball. So we had all our scouts there, all our roving instructors were there, and I ended up throwing had a perfect game through seven and a third, I believe, that day. So I, that I mean, you know what? Talk about. I, I guess you want to talk about being in the right place at the right time. I, I guess that would be that would be it. Is that when you had the baseball card in the snow? Oh God! Actually, the baseball, the baseball card in the snow was right before my rookie year. They actually came to me in Connecticut, and I'll never forget. You know what? It, we had a blizzard like two feet the day before, 
And then it was one of those things that it didn't like clear up. It ended up just getting really cold and blustery. And that's the day they were up there. So all those pictures are real pictures. So you're just out there. And, the and I was like, like in after the snow. Blizzard, I was literally in the snow. Pitches. <laughs> Did I do what? No, I didn't throw any pitches. That <laughs> you couldn't go inside I and take a photo. To be. <laughs> what was that? You couldn't they, go inside and take a photo. <laughs> uh, no, they they um they wanted the photos right where it was. <laughs> I don't know why they did that. I mean, uh, it was it was different. You know, it was one of those things that they you know they they were like, hey, this would be different. Let's do this. Let's do that. So I just I I did all all I had to do. It one, makes of the for- things, one of the things I noticed from looking at uh, at your teammates from those Martinsville and Spartanburg teams is there were very few guys that made the major leagues, but there were two guys that were both your battery mates that did. Do you remember who they were? Uh, from those two teams, yeah. Gary Bennett, uh, Levy was it Levy? Yeah, that's uh-huh. right. Mike yeah. Overthaw. Yeah, what, Levy caught what do you me. Remember uh, about him? Levy was—I don't know. He, you know what? He was kind of quiet. He wasn't the the catcher that you would think all the time. You know, he wasn't the guy that would get in your face or things like that. Bennett was. Bennett wasn't afraid to to dig in, but uh, Levy was just one of those guys who was. You know, a number one pick was just trying, but he didn't act like a number one pick. He was just trying to do what he was supposed to do to get to the big league. So, uh, you know, he and and quite frankly, when you first saw him, he was small when you first saw him. Like, he was young. So, I mean, it took him some time to grow up a little bit. But he, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, he turned into a great ball player. Did you think he was going to make the major leagues based on what you saw in there? Uh Back then, you look at anybody who was the number one pick, they were going to get to the big leagues at one point or another, most likely. And I say that most likely because there was a, what Jeff Jackson was, was the other guy, right? They yep. never, he never made it. So, uh, interestingly well, enough, yeah, it is what it is. When we do our minor league show and when we talk to guys about the minors, we always enjoy talking about the bus rides, any crazy bus rides for you at that time, and how much did they make you then appreciate the travel you got as a big leaguer? Oh, God, I'll tell you right now, when, when I went to the big league the first time and then came back down to Reading, I ended up going back down to Reading when the strike came. And, all, you know, all your friends are still there because it's odd. You, you, in the minor leagues, you make friendships. In the big leagues, you, you're, you're basically business partners, you know. It's a little different. But my first trip back to Reading, I missed the team party when I was up in the big leagues for two and a half weeks. So we're in, like, I'm going to say we're in Maine, Portland, Maine, and our next trip was, our next game was in Canton, Ohio. So we literally got a bunch of beer and got on that bus, and let me put it this way, we put that beer away. I mean, we put it down, and we we got to, I'll never forget, we got to Canton and still went out that night. So, yeah, bus rides were not fun. We always ask about sort of the lessons that, people get in the minors any best advice worst advice that you end up passing on to people when they ask you how you got where you are best advice um in the minor leagues you have to i think you really have to know yourself and i know it sounds odd but you have to know what your limitations are and what you can and can't do and how much fun you could have off the field and how much what you could do on the field I mean, for me, once I once I knew I had the arm and and I knew I, I knew 
when I got, when I got, I mean, I was the hardest thrown guy in the first three teams I see, I saw. So, I mean, I knew I had something. So it was just one of those things where I was like, all right, you know what? You just got to stick to your guns and, and make sure, make sure you do everything right. Cause if you get in trouble in the minor leagues, that, that that's where, that's where you run into trouble. You know, it's, it's, it's odd, but you run into issues and you want to stay away from the issues when you're in the minor leagues. Once you get to the big leagues, if you have some issues, I'm sure you can get out of it, but it's just, it's, it's a, it's definitely a, a, something that you have to know your, you have to know yourself. That is the best way I could put it. You have to know what your limitations are in, in the, in the uh, minor leagues. All right, let's talk travel again, just for one minute. What's the worst hotel you ever stayed in? In the majors or the minors? Uh huh. In the majors. In the majors, probably the. Wow, I I guess there's so many good ones that I'm gonna say. Well, you know what? The Fister wasn't bad. It was just haunted. That's exactly um, what I thought you were gonna say. So t- so tell us, because you are you are mentioned in a book, Field of Screams. Yeah. Jeff did his research, and he's been wanting to ask you yeah, about so this. I'm fascinated about this this hotel, the Fister Hotel. What is it Apparently about the Fister, the Fister Hotel, hotel that you guys want to stay there? No, they, you don't want to stay on a certain floor. I, I, I believe it's like the 13th, or no, because they don't even have a 13th floor on it. Whatever the floor was, there have been sightings and there have been feelings in the middle of the night. So you never wanted to stay on that floor. So it wasn't necessarily the whole hotel was haunted. There was a certain floor that no ballplayers wanted to stay on. Seriously? So only one floor of a hotel is haunted? The the ghosts move like the furniture around. Is that the legend? (laughs) I mean, that's basically, yeah. I I guess things were were moving around in the room, and the room was spinning, things like that. Uh, Yeah, I mean... But, I mean, I was never worried about it. It was just a little odd when you first hear it because when you're first in the big leagues and guys are telling you, you're like, yeah, whatever. And, and, and you just kind of you, you dismiss it. But dismissing it didn't always work. What's the biggest practical joke anybody pulled on you in your rookie year? Um, well, I, I still think Ruben Amaro. Ruben Amaro came up to me with a microphone that had like a it smelled like crap. I mean, <laughs> and he was doing like an interview. People would do that, you know? Um, and it was just one of those things where you're like, all right, well, let's, something really stinks here. But <laughs> it was just him doing that. And they, actually it was on, remember Bob Golick used to have like a show that he did some. Yeah. Yeah. It was on that show. <laughs> Ricky, we could always have you on, talk to you all day, but we'll let you get back to what you're doing. We do hope that there is some baseball soon that we can talk to you about and see you on TV critiquing it all. Well, I hope so. Hopefully really soon, right? Fingers are crossed. Rick, Ricky, thanks so much for always giving us a little bit of time and uh, stay safe. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. Jeff, the the haunted uh, room, you got to ask that in. I know that you're excited about that. Well, it's always fascinating to me that, 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 that things like that happen on the road, and you never know what the truth of the story is. I mean, look, even when we were kids, the new kid on the team always got teased. 
when you got to, how many people went to high school in their freshman year they were told that there was a pool on the third floor or something and there was no third floor <laughs> or, or, or you Jeff or, that was Jeff that was only you or, or, or you <laughs> dare asked as, as like a freshman in, in high school or college as a freshman never ask anybody for directions to a class right because they yeah. always send you to like some place that doesn't exist I'm not even going to talk on the air about my freshman year. That's just not going to happen right now. But we have a little time till we get Mark McKenzie on. Do you want to talk um, Sixers and Ben Simmons health, the NBA starting on Christmas, or you want to go to some uh, NFL? Go to Tell some. Tell me. Let's go to some. All right. Some NFL. So uh, schedule release last night. Were you sitting at home for the three-hour broadcast of the schedule so, release? Because, so, Jeff, I know. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah, hold on. I'm gonna be, all right. I know that there is nothing that Jeff Cohen enjoys more than the May or April, depending on when the schedule's released, prognostications of how every team is going to be with a breakdown of the 17 games and whether you will win or lose, how you will survive in your bye week, what night you're playing. So, Jeff, I know that you've been staying up. You stayed up all night last night and today and have broken this down and are going to give me an analysis of what's going to happen with the Eagles this season. Then your you're, floor is yours. Then you're sev- going to be severely disappointed because you oh, know. Come on. You, I, th- I think it is the most ridiculous thing that we go through and people <laughs> listen to us as we go through week by week how they're going to do when we don't know what the rosters are. So how exactly are we supposed to figure out and predict each of the games? And what does it matter? But to me, the bigger thing was, you know, I'm sitting there going, okay, what time is what time are they releasing the schedules? They're releasing them at eight o'clock. It gets to seven o'clock, and it's all of a sudden, hey, should we put the te- television on and watch it? And I'm like, all right, fine. And they get two minutes into it and realize it's going to be an hour show. <laughs> and I go, you know, I could just go on Spadero's Twitter account and see what the schedule is for the Eagles, and then I'm done. So you cheated so, and so, you saw so the whole schedule shout release. Out, shout out to Dave Spadero because I just went on his Twitter account, looked up what the Eagles were playing, and that's, huh, now I can move on to something else. Some interesting things, not about win-loss per se. I, I mentioned to you in the first 10 weeks, Chris Long actually tweeted this, this, in the first 10 weeks of the season, the Eagles will likely board a flight just two times, once to San Francisco and either a bus or a flight across the state to Pittsburgh. Otherwise, their teams are at home or in driving distance until they get to week 11 when they fly to the Browns, and that's after their bye. That's not too bad on the body to start the season. Flying to the Browns isn't so bad either. No. It's a trip. A lot of their trips, they only have one trip to the West Coast. They have San Francisco on the West Coast, and then they play at the Cardinals and Cowboys. So Those I have a are question their furthest about, trips west. Is it possible that if you do the Europe trip that the next year— Well, those are canceled can, this year. Well, what, didn't the Eagles play in Europe last year? Uh, but this year there was the potential no, no, they but, might but play in they Mexico. Play, didn't they play last year in Europe? So last year or two years ago that oh, they okay. played in Europe. Because if it was last year, then I could see them saying next year, you know what, we're not, we're going to have we're going to make up for all the travel that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it seems in terms of that favorable. Um, they don't play any teams coming off their bye last season. They had to play three teams coming off a bye completely fresh. Mm-hmm. Some interesting things that were on the schedule. Not really a surprise that they play Washington the first week. That'll be Ron Rivera's first start the rams have to come east for a one o'clock game early on week three do you get to see joe burrow and the Bengals here in philadelphia for that 
Um, you know, so there are some things. So, you, so you're trying to hype that the Bengals ticket should cost more than it normally does? I'm not hyping it. I'm just asking you whether you think that's what you're going to see. I think what if you want to go see and you want to go cry a little bit your beer, then you should go to the Bengals game and you can see what T. Higgins looks like. And then when you see that the Eagles should have drafted T. Higgins, then you can feel that. You way. are never going to forget that and let that go, are you? You're going to like, well, you're no, going to be the guy that well, drafts him true. in fantasy just to follow his stats to tell everybody each week no, how that, he's doing. No, that's not true. But here's here's the deal. I said I will forget about it and hope everybody didn't hear it when, if he doesn't do well. <laughs> well that's, of course, that's how it'll work. Jeff, right. I know this will excite you because you're such a huge fan of Thursday night football. Yes. The Eagles play at home this year for their Thursday night game against the Giants in week seven. So I guess that means there'll be one game that I watch on Thursday night. Uh, potentially, maybe. No, you're going to watch Thursday Night Football. You're going to watch when sports come back, you're going to turn into me. You're going to watch everything that is out there. You're going to DVR stuff to get it when it's not on. By the way, as scared as those baseball players may have been about the 12th floor at the Fester's Hotel, you just terrified me. (laughs) (laughs) By saying that you're going to turn into me? There is is no way that I am going to be taping, curling, and and the Ocho and everything else. You know what kind of terrifies me a little bit? What? That the Eagles are still doing a little dance with Jason Peters and don't seem set with Andre Dillard at their left tackle. You got any concerns about what's going on there? Well, well why do you say they're not set? Well, because they keep doing this dance of, is Jason Peters going to come back? Isn't he? You heard rumblings before the draft. Yeah. Are they going to trade Dillard? It doesn't seem like they've just given him the spot right now and have well, a level of comfort with him. No, why well, would you do that? If, he was if, your if you can, first if you can, round pick that should be able to step in, hopefully at this point. Nobody's and, saying he isn't. Why wouldn't? Why if you can get Jason Peters on the cheap instead of getting Jason Peters the way they were paying him before, and you can have the depth that offset offensive line? Why would you not do it? If you can get him on the cheap, it doesn't seem like much it, into it. it doesn't seem like it's been about the money as much for Peters. It seems like it's been about their concern about Dillard, at least just in my opinion. Based on I, I could be. Based on what you see from them, it seems like Peters has decided that he will take a hometown discount, at least that he's not entertaining offers from some other teams, but that he wants to play. But the Eagles haven't come to the table and offered him that money yet. So well, I so don't know what. what the so then what doing. makes you think that the Eagles are playing? It sounds like Jason Peters is the one that's reaching out to the Eagles, not the other way around. It sounds like it they is. Just they, haven't, haven't, they just they haven't, haven't closed no. the door. Exactly. Well, yeah, but a, a good general manager never closes the door on anything. Okay, should they close the door on Jadavian Clowney as a potential free agent solution? No, if you can get him for the right money. See, the thing about Jadavian Clowney is he is a really good defensive player, but he is not what he thinks he is. If you look at his sack numbers, his sack numbers do not compare to Aaron Donald or people like that. And and so he he's actually very good on the run. So he's the kind of guy that I want. He just has to realize he's not getting $20 million a year. He's not Aaron Donald. He does that. Those are the guys that get the big money on the defensive line are the guys that put the quarterback on his back. And Clowney is not that guy. Wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about Don Shula who passed away this week. Uh, your thoughts on the coach and the legend. One of, one of the greatest of all times. I mean, it, he and he seemed like class personified. He just seemed like one of those old school coaches. His players revered him. He's still the only head coach who went through an undefeated season. Um, and even after he left the game, he was larger than life. 
And it's a shame to have lost them. It definitely is. The NFL this week canceled all their international games. Not really surprising. Uh, the Eagles had the potential to maybe play in Mexico. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Anything else really jump out at you from the NFL schedule release? Because I know that you were waiting with bated breath. <laughs> Did Spadaro put out like the whole league schedule or are you just uninformed? I don't that? know. You only I don't know. All, all, all I wanted to do was find out what the Eagles schedule was and who am I going to go to? The guy who's the Eagles insider, right? So that's I've, the guy I went to. A couple of things that I found interesting with the schedule. Uh, Tom Brady will open with Tampa Bay against the Saints. Mm-hmm. So that should be fun to watch. Lots of different matchups as this as year. As long as he doesn't hurt himself playing golf. This is true. He, we'll talk. Sure he doesn't hurt himself. We'll talk about the golf coming up in a little bit after our McKenzie interview. Uh, week two, Monday night, opens the new Vegas Raiders Death Star Stadium. <laughs> that thing is so cool looking. Yeah, really uh, you're going to get a Friday NFL game this year. The Vikings will play the Saints at the Superdome on Christmas this year. And your Thanksgiving games are Lions, Texans, Washington against the Cowboys, and the Steelers against the Ravens. Other than the Steelers-Ravens, those are horrible games. (laughs) Those are bad games. Do you know what the best part of the first one? You're going to have to watch Matt Patricia with his pencil in his ear against Bill (laughs) O'Brien. With with no look in his eyes. (laughs) I cannot wait for the text messages that you send to me during that game, watching those two coaches on the sideline. I pray I have something better to do than watch that game. I pray you don't. (laughs) The Steelers-Ravens is always a good game. Absolutely. And look, we're going to get to see the Ravens here. Oh, you don't want to see that? Come on. I have a hard time watching two teams I hate play each other. Well, <laughs> just can't, that's like me watching Ohio State play Notre Dame. I'm not going to oh, do that. Okay, since oh, you mentioned but, Ohio State, while we wait for Mark McKenzie, I wanted to give you a chance to comment on another one of your favorite issues, Rick Pitino. So, let's oh, look talk, how excited you got. He has nothing to do with Ohio State. Talk Louisville. Yeah. Because Louisville got hit with new allegations this week dating back to Patino's time with level one violations. Yeah, well, um, why, why don't we talk about it afterwards? Because I think we got some. I know you wanted to get me all riled up. But, I did. But, but, but I'll wait. Yeah, because when, wait. We get, when we get a, a star for the union on and a guy who's played on the U.S. soccer team, uh, we definitely bring him right on. Mark McKenzie, how you doing today, ma'am? Hello. There we go. Mark, how you doing today, ma'am? I'm great. So- Oh, we're doing fantastic. Thank you so much for giving us a little bit of time today. I uh, hope you and your family are holding up okay during all this. How are you uh, keeping yourself busy while you wait to get things going on the field? Yeah, no, I mean, just kind of doing team workouts that they sent out. Um, you know, uh, mixing in with workouts that I've already done in the past. Um, you know, just a, a local field. We have... Uh, one of my former clubs here, we have a, a big field, you know, there's a, few t- there's a turf field and a grass field, so, you know, so I'm out there doing some ball work, um, and then, yeah, just kind of mixing it up on some runs, so it's just a whole bunch of, of different things, trying to keep going, you know, keep the body going, and uh, just staying motivated. So, Mark, in, in addition to staying motivated to play soccer, one of the things that I have heard about you is that you are a big follower of NBA player Twitter accounts. Yeah, yeah, I love uh, the NBA. It's one of my, besides uh, watching football, it's uh, one of my, my favorite pastimes. All right, so here, here's your chance to be the expert on Twitter accounts. 
who are your favorite NBA Twitter followers? Follow. Yeah, who are the go-tos? Because Jeff needs to know who to follow. Okay. Uh, so you're looking for players or you're looking for just personality? Both. <laughs> All right. Players, I'd probably say the more active. You know, LeBron, he's, he's very active on social media. Um, so he's one. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, let me look on my, my Twitter real quick. I, I love that you're going to pull up your Twitter feed and give some ideas. We'll start following yeah. them, and then we can see what they're saying out there. I just think it's fun I that think. you go out there and you, you watch other players and what they're putting out. I always wonder what athletes do, whether they pay attention to what other athletes say. Yeah, no, no, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely something that I enjoy doing. Um, yeah, so, you know, I like to, to keep tabs on, you know, both ends of the spectrum. So, like, I, I follow uh, Zion Williamson. He's relatively active, but he's, he's one of the younger guys. John Morant, he's a younger guy as well. Um, but that's on the younger side. But aside from LeBron and those two, I'd probably say Carmelo is one. Um, I'd say that a sleeper. Um, let me figure out a sleeper for you guys. Um, I mean, Joel would be pretty, pretty active once the season gets going. Uh, oh, Joel's definitely fun to follow on Twitter. Yeah, he's, uh, Jeff, he's all right, who, who are the best Twitter feuds in the NBA? Oh, okay. All right. Currently or in the past? Both. Both. Take your pick. Okay. Currently, I think. Joel Embiid, he has some beef with, with a few guys. Um, I think Jared Dudley was one. Um, and that was entertaining to watch. Um, let's see. Let's see. I just enjoy that you follow along with the feuds that people have on Twitter. I'm just going to start a feud with Jeff yeah. so that people can follow it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, right now, let's see. Ooh, Do you have a lot? I think we stumped you. Ennis Cantor. Ennis Cantor and LeBron had some beef back, in, back when, you know, Ennis, he was posting a lot of stuff. That's what, uh, that was, uh, I think, was it during the playoffs? I don't know if it was during the playoffs or what, but he used to post uh, how the refs were the king of Cleveland. That's what it was. When LeBron was in Cleveland, that was a couple of years ago. So that was one. Um, there was some beef between Mo Bamba and Joel Embiid. And I'm guessing Joel ball. won that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely won that one. The uh, bar ball and Joel and them. Mark, you're getting uh, choppy. I'm sorry. Your film, your film got a little choppy there for a second. Yeah, no, I was saying uh, Joel and B, the bar ball. The bar ball up, trying to say stuff about Joel and B's game. What's it like for you as an athlete to be able to see in real time on social media how people are reacting to either things you as a player do, things that the team does, things that the league does, or even things that other players do? What's that like? I mean, it's, I mean there's positives or negatives to it. Um, I think positive is you're always in tune. You're always up to date with the latest. You know, you're able to, to keep track of stuff in live time. Uh, but I think, you know, the availability of that information is kind of nice, you know, being able to practice it without having to a whole bunch of, uh, a bunch of clutter. Um, so you kind of get directly to it from different sources, you know, reporting about it or talking about it or, 
you know, retweeting it or posting it, um, that, you know, it's kind of sometimes all up in your face. Uh, but at the same time, you know, this kind of stuff can sometimes get in the way of the game uh, where now, you know, guys may be more focused on silencing those on social media or trying to make a point that they forget, you know, the real reason they're in that position is to play the game. So, you know, I think there's, there's two sides to it. Um, it's nice and it's kind of funny, you know, because it's the lighter side to the game. Uh, to sports in general where things can be so so heavy, so serious, and so much pressure. But um, at the same time, it can sometimes distract uh, and be a distraction. So, you know, again, it depends on the player and the, the personalities and, and who you're dealing with. But, um, you know, I think that kind of ultimately determines how, uh, how it's taken. Mark, you grew up as a, as a pretty local kid growing up in Delaware. Uh, what was it like for you to play your first professional game in the Union Stadium, what used to be called Talent Energy? I mean, it's 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 surreal, you know. I, I know I've said that probably past before, but it, it really is just because, you know, I remember going to the games, you know, back when I was in the pre-academy and then in the early years of the academy, as U13, U14, and you go to the games and you're watching the guys play and, like, and I'm watching Mo do on the field. I'm watching Brian Carroll, these guys who I've talked with, you know, you know, really good relationships with now, who I consider mentors of mine. You know, watching them play, um, Charlie Davies, uh, Gucci and Yehu. So I'm, I'm watching these guys play, and you know, to now be in that position and to have made my, my first professional, you know, appearance on that field, you know, playing where they played, it's uh kind of crazy not to be in the stands and asking for autographs and, and everything and not, and not being in their position, you know, and able to, to do that for, you know, another kid, you know, who may be aspiring to be a professional one day. Um, it's, uh, it's a full circle. We talk a lot about the impact that athletes can have with the platform that they're on. You've been a lot, active a lot in Delaware Valley communities and including promoting positive action in the African-American community. What drives you to that and, and what does it mean to you to be able to do that? No, it's uh, you know, my parents have always instilled in me a a, a trait into as to whether to speak up and, and to when to speak up. You know, you have intuition for a reason, um, and they've always wanted me to to speak my mind and you know, not be afraid to hold back. You know, it's always pick your times and, and pick and choose your times as to when you know when it's appropriate. But again, not to be afraid to to have an opinion, to have a voice about it. And not everybody's gonna like you. Not everybody's gonna you know appreciate what you have to say. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if it's something that you feel strongly about, if it's something that, although the vast majority may not feel the same way about, there may be a minority group that, you know, can relate to you, uh, a group that, you know, have their voice sometimes silenced or, or, or uh, put to the side. You know, if you can be that for somebody else, then, then why, why can't I? Um, and that's something they've always, they've always taught me to do. Um, so, you know, now that I'm in a position, you know, where I can speak up and, and I have influence, you know, of course, I want to positively influence, you know, others to, to do the same, you know, to, to have an opinion, to have a voice, you know, because you never know whose life it could change. You know, it's, it's always that small 1% of, uh, you know, those you, you talk to that, that may feel some type of way and um, that may positively affect them. You know, and, and ultimately, that 1% will lead to another 1% and, and it all adds up at the end of the day. You know, it all adds up to, to something bigger, so... You know, I think it, it really stems from my parents. Um, and I know I've gotten older, just being more comfortable with who I am. 
Mark in, adi- Mark, in addition to being a, a local leader, somebody that can that can give back to their community and have a difference, uh, you had the chance to represent your country in the U-20 team as a captain. What was that experience like for you? And, and what was the experience like for you to find out that you were going to captain the team? Oh, it was incredible. You know, it's really a tremendous honor, first and foremost. You know, to one, be called up to play for your national team and then represent your country. Um, you know, one of the biggest youth stages up there. Um, but then to, to be named captain of it, you know, was, you know, I was really extremely honored um, because, again, we were a relatively young team, um, but we had a, a tight-knit group, you know, and any of the guys in that group could have necessarily been captain. Um, you know, everybody has a different trait, but we all fed off of those traits, and, and that's what kind of made us the, the team that we were. So, you know, to be named captain and to be seen in that manner by the group, you know, it meant a lot to me, so... You know that that much more you know responsibility you know for myself to to make sure that we were all on the same page. You know we had our heads in the same place. Uh, we're all humble. You know hungry at the same time. Um, and I just took that my stride and made sure that we uh, you know could, could reach as much potential as we possibly could. Hey, Mark, one other thing we found out about you is you seem to be a real student of the game. So I'm going to ask you two names, and you pick. If you if you had to be the one picking the team. We were playing on a playground. Who are you picking, Messi or Ronaldo? Uh, I'd probably say uh, I would probably, although I'm a big Ronaldo fan, I have great respect for Messi um, and the kind of player he is. You know, he's a game changer, and he sees things at a different rate than other tw- than other players do. So, I'd probably say uh, probably say Messi in that instance. But you know, they both have that killer instinct. So. It's tough, but again, I'd probably go with Messi. All right. Now, if you have to pick Casper or Brendan, who are you picking? <laughs> he brings it back home. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I would probably say... I'd probably say say Brendan, you know, objectively. You know, I'm taking out my bias here. Um, you know, Brendan and I can't go together, but... Just uh, the kind of player, you know, he's a shifty player, uh, very technical, you know, good in tight spaces. So, and we're playing side to side, you know, so whatever that is, uh, I like the kind of player Brendan is mobile. You know, he's able to do things and pass the rates and other that. So, I probably think Brendan just gets most out of the game. Well, Mark, we hope that you can get back on the field soon and, and look forward to talking to you again as, as things get moving. And thank you so much for giving us a little time to talk with you. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much. You have a great one. Jeff, these shows just fly by when we're having fun talking to people. Uh, I, I just, I run out of time. I don't even get to ask you half the questions to set you off that I want to. I know. And, and you know, the shame of it is, is, is you know, Mark, Mark's a good guy. I want to, there's so much more I want to ask him. Um, hopefully we'll get to be down there soon, get to see them play, get to talk to them. Um, it, it's just, I'm excited to get back to sports, get back to life. But uh, before we go, I assume you want me to finish my Louisville stuff. Yeah, I figured you would have a reaction to the fact that Louisville got uh, well. The, yeah, but cite, that's because you again. keep pulling Patino, the scam off. And Patino is just going to go coach at Iona, and they say that they did their due diligence and they knew about all this. 
I don't really care what Iona thinks. The the fact, I mean, you think you know this is a scab for me because because they should because Michigan should have won that championship. I literally game. just pulled the yeah, pin I, and exactly. let let you right. explode. It's like a grenade. I know. I know exactly what you, I've been steaming the whole time. You didn't tell me that this was going to be on the show that you were going to ask me this. That's but intentional. Here, but here's the deal. Rick Pitino has gotten caught with his hand in the cookie jar how many times now? And and the fact that they continue to let him coach and they penalize the players is beyond me. Rick Pitino should be, for a limited period of time, be banned. It, sh- it shouldn't be up to other schools to hire him. And if I'm Iona, I'm going, if this turns out to be true, you're gone. Why would they want him there? Because his name is Because they want to win. That's why they want him there. They, they want to they win, and then they want to have sanctions? Like, why would Iona do this? Is Iona thinking they're going to win the NCAA tournament? It's not happening, Iona. I promise you. In, in our <laughs> lifetimes, you will not win the NCAA tournament. It's not happening, so why put yourself at risk? Do you think and that— All those Iona grads that are watching, I'm sorry. But I can't wait to see the hate tweet that comes, hate tweets that come at you for taking on Iona right there. I just, it goes back to what you're saying. Would you like, I, I know you don't bet. Would you like to bet me that, that I, Iona will not win the tournament in my lifetime? I'll let Vito take that bet on the other side of the glass. Jeff, we got uh, in our last minute final thoughts, getting ready for uh, Tiger Phil. Yes, I am getting ready. That, but I don't need Brady and Manning to be there. But what's they're going to be. I know, they're, but what's the point? Apparently, quarterback. It'll, it'll be Memorial Weekend, Sunday, May 24th, mm-hmm. starting at 3 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine the ratings they're going to get for that so, thing. So have they said, is this something that we're going to have to pay for? Is this pay-per-view? I haven't seen it yet. I had seen talk about it potentially being with it going to charity, but then I thought it's just on live TV. It's, it's, it. it's live on TNT, actually. Um, I believe is how they're going to do it. It's oh, going to be at Medalist Golf Club in Florida. So, is, is, that, be... is that where where the wrestling's taking place too? You know, you you keep <laughs> dunking on my wrestling, but I keep watching. But it is different without fans. It is, Jeff. Any yeah. final thoughts? Uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing some live sport, and I will be watching Korean baseball. We'll be watching. Thanks Aaron so much Altair. for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.